I heard about a couple. They're celebrating their 25th wedding anniversary. And the husband announces to his wife, he says, hey, for our 25th wedding anniversary, I'm taking you to China. She was amazed, floored. She had never been to China and so excited. And you know, she's like, China's incredible. But if you're going to do something this extravagant for our 25th wedding anniversary, what will you do for our 50th? He looks at her and he says, oh, that's when I'll pick you up. <laughs> Not so good. No, just a joke. It really has, didn't happen. It has nothing to do with our message. No, but Aaron put it in my notes, so yeah. I had to tell you guys. Um, anyways, our theme is the marital mission of reaching the lost world. Can the Christian marriage actually reach the lost world? Well, Jesus, he said these words. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And, you know, sometimes I think about the people who have influenced me most in my Christian walk, and I think about what was the common denominator. They were salty. They were, they were shiny. It wasn't about their speaking ability. It wasn't about, you know, their sparkly eyes or their big tooth grin or anything like that. No, they were salt and they were light for the Lord. And so one word really comes to mind when I think about them. It's the word influence. Influence. And so, again, we ask, how are we influencing the world? Are we impacting the lost world? What are we communicating to the lost world? As somebody once said these words, they said, when it comes to spiritual life, men will wrangle or they'll wrestle for religion. They'll write for it. They'll, they'll fight for it. They may even die for it. They'll do anything but live for it. And so... How does this translate to our marriages? Well, again, Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he says, you are the light of the, of the world. And so that means that it's you. It's me. It's us. We are the light of the world, meaning it's just us. We are the light of the world. And so every aspect of our life is to shine to the world around us. And so our marriage relationship should shine as well. But quite frankly, what happens is, is that our Christian marriages, they're not shining. Just, just becomes two people doing their thing, and they're not really focused on the scriptures. They're not really focused on the spirit. They're not really focused on the, the message, and they're not really focused on their character. And so um, how important that that is. Yeah, the world needs to see healthy Christian marriages. You know, any relationship that fails, like a marriage that's falling apart, is devastating. You know, even non-believing married couples who don't make it are devastated. Nobody wants a failed marriage. So how can we as married couples show this lost world hope? Isn't that what we're all looking for? Well, we show them hope by having a godly marriage ourselves. And it's interesting, the Bible speaks a lot about marriage. In Genesis 2, we see Adam and Eve in the very first marriage ever. In Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3 both explain the roles of husband and wife. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's talking about divorce and remarriage. In Matthew 19, Jesus talks about divorce and remarriage. And so we see that the Bible shows us that marriage is important to God. And so when we are couples of the word, when we really believe the word of God, we will be reaching the lost world. 
You know, Jesus speaks to this in Luke 24. Um, In verse 44, he says, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. So as married couples, Jesus wants us to comprehend his word. In verse 46, it continues. It says, then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Now, this is important because... um Sometimes after church, people will come up and they'll be asking for prayer and I'll say, well, what can I pray for you for? And they'll often say something to the effect, uh, pray that I can be a better witness uh, to my spouse, to my children, to my co-workers, to my fellow students, or um, along those lines. And so that's really what our marriage study is. How can Christian marriages witness to the lost world? Again, like Becky was saying, it's scripture. No scripture. Scripture, uh, understanding uh, the marriage model in Ephesians chapter 5, and 1 Peter chapter 3, and Genesis chapter 2, these different kinds of things, and not only uh, know them, but have them in your heart and in your mind, believe them truly. Uh, Listen, the word of God, it it works. It it really does. The word of God works. I've seen it work. But often, even Christians really don't like the marriage model uh, that God has given to us. They don't like, um, I mean, we kind of get together, we kind of laugh about it and stuff like that, but do we really like it? Do we really uh, know it? Now, When couples do come in for marriage counseling at our church, um, you know, they come in and uh, we sit down and we usually kind of, I guess, shoot the breeze just for a few moments to kind of warm up to the situation, kind of warm up a little bit. But usually the first thing uh, of substance that I ask them is, uh, are you both Christians? And usually they'll say, yes, we are. And then I'll ask the question, do you both believe that the Bible is the word of God? And usually they'll say, yes, we do. Um, and then I'll ask, so are you willing to do what the Bible says, even if difficult? And this is where their eyes kind of dart to the door, door a little bit, kind of look like trapped animals, like, Aaron, you trapped us right here. But listen, I've never seen a couple that was divorcing who were actually doing what the Bible said. Never. Never seen it. And guess what? I never will. We never will. If, listen, if we are both doing what God says, divorce is not happening. It won't happen. But if we're not, then our marriages are going to be weak. They're going to be self-focused and more likely headed toward failure. And so again, in in Luke chapter 24, verse 48, Jesus says, to be my witnesses, know my word. Jesus says, your testimony, your witness begins from what you have seen and what you have read, the Bible. And secondly, Christian marriages need power. We understand that our flesh is strong in us. You know, remember what Paul said in Romans 7, verse 15, I want to do what's right, 
I want to do what God wants for me. But then Paul said, here's the problem. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, those are the things that I actually do. And it's like that so often in our marriages. You know, we don't want to fight with each other. And, you know, one of the reasons should be because the world needs to see a loving couple. You know, we don't want to be selfish, only looking out for ourselves. Why? Well, because the world needs to see a selfless couple. We don't want to be unspiritual, obviously, right? Well, the world needs to see us being a spiritual couple. But our problem is we do what we don't want to do, and we don't do what we should be doing. So what's the answer? Obedience, right? Simple. Okay, but... In order to be obedient, we need the power, we need the ability to be obedient because we can't do that on our own. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he says, here's your need, power. Power to be witnesses. The word power is the Greek word dunamis, and it's where we get the word for dynamite. Which, by the way, doesn't mean that we're going around blowing unbelievers up. <laughs> but there does need to be a dynamic, a supernatural dynamic, I would say, to our uh, marriages. You know, in thinking about the importance of this, the last thing that Jesus says to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is that you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost is upon you. And you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. But how? Well, Jesus says, wait until you're filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the plan, to spend time waiting, being quiet, spending time with the Lord. You know, we need to be waiting on him. And so Jesus says to, to be my witnesses, we need the Holy Spirit. Like if we are in a courtroom and we're witnesses, what does the judge want from us? He wants the facts. He wants the truth. He does not want our personal opinion. Simply this, what did you see? What did you hear? Just the facts, just the truth. Again, if we are testifying in a courtroom, would we be jailed for perjury? Like, is our testimony accurate or is our testimony misleading as we go out there? The problem with many Christian marriages today is that our relationships are so intertwined in the world. And so uh, God's plan kind of becomes like this optional thing for us. It's not that important to us. And so Jesus says, the message that I want you to speak to this world is so important to me that I, I'm going to send the helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you to make sure that message is true and dynamic. Because listen, if he's not real in us, if the Holy Spirit is not real to us, how can we share with confidence to this world. And so Jesus says, we need the Holy Spirit. And if we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, then we are gonna be a living Bible. And I'm not talking about the living Bible that you find at Mardell's. I'm talking about the fact that the Bible will actually be alive in us because the author of the Bible is living inside of us and through us. And so our marriage then is gonna have that dynamic. It's gonna have that that living testimony to it. You know, people often think that, you know, dynamic power is, speak, is about speaking in tongues or prophecy or healings. But remember the context in Acts chapter one, 
you know, he says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. The context is reaching the lost world for Christ. In our marriages, they, they need the Holy Spirit's power. You know, we can't bring this message to an unsaved world without it. I mean, look at the nation we live in. Just look at the cities we live in. It needs truth. It's, that's the only answer for them. That's the only hope. You know, they don't need a watered-down truth, but to be able to come with this powerful and loving and life-changing message. And so Jesus is saying, you need power to speak the truth. So a marriage that's led by the Spirit, that's empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, those are the messages that will be able to be a witness to this lost world. That marriage, definitely will be a witness to this loss. But what hinders? What hinders this? Um, We kind of think, we look at the world and we say, well, the sinner or the pagan or the non-believer, they're the ones that are hindering the marriage relationship. And so we look at the homosexual marriage or we look at the transsexual marriage and we kind of, we look at the depravity of this world. And, And what do we do as Um, Christians. We shake our heads. Look at how they're destroying the marriage relationships. But listen, they are not destroying our marriages. We do that. That's what we do. No, it's us. Sinners, in a sense, are doing what they are supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, ever look at a, a celebrity marriage out there? Sinners are great at being sinners, aren't they, right? They are committed. They believe. They sin good, you might say. But are they better at being sinners than we are at being saints? Sinners don't hinder the marriage relationships. Saints do. We do. Are we doing what we are supposed to do? Are we living out our marriages in truth and in spirit, or are we living them out in our own strength? I mean, I think about the apostles. Think about, the, they went out, they went out without money. They went out without church buildings, without political influence or education. I mean, they were trained. They spent time with Jesus, but they went out with all of these things. They went out without media. And yet in Acts chapter 17, verse six, it says that these 120 disciples turned the world upside down without all of our advantages. And so for us, our testimony, it's not for from our own strengths, but if we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, then the word is going to be real to us and our testimony is going to have that testimony, uh, dynamic to it. And so, I mean, we go out as Christian married couples and uh, we're armed with these beautiful messages from Ephesians chapter 5 and 1 Peter chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 2 and the countless passages in Proverbs talking about what a healthy relationship looks like. You know, passages, hopefully as married couples that we have actually spent time in and have spent time with, and we actually believe, no, these are the very words of God to us, and we, we live it out. And so when that's true, then that life-changing message is actually going to be ingrained in us. And when it's ingrained in us, then it's going to be right at the tip of our tongues. And people are going to come and they're going to say something to the effect, hey, tell us, what's the secret of your marriage? You ever, you ever been asked that before? What's the secret of your marriage? And we can confidently come back and say, it's the word of God. It's the Holy Spirit in my life. Jesus Christ is at the center of our, our relationship. That's the secret to our marriage. 
you know, in being that witness to people, we need to understand what it means to be a witness. Again, in Acts 1.8, the word witness there means martyr. And martyr means willing to die. You know, most of the apostles died for Christ. You know, and looking again at this word witness and what it means in our marriages, Luke 24, verse 46, Jesus said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses. You are witnesses. You are martyrs. Again, that that word means martyr. You know, being a witness is not just something you do. It's not just about going out witnessing. You know, it's something you are. You are witnesses of his death and resurrection. You know, keep in mind that the, the message is ingrained in the witness. Like Aaron was saying, you know, it becomes ingrained in you. You know, Acts 1.8, again, Jesus says, you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And then in verse 22, while finding Judas's replacement, it says, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So we are witnesses of Jesus's resurrection. Again, in Acts 2.32, Peter says, which we are all witnesses of Jesus's resurrection. And then in Acts 3.14, Peter again is preaching and he says, you guys killed Jesus. You denied Jesus, but God raised him from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And again, in his epistle, in 1 Peter 5.1, it says, the elders who are among you, I exhort, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory which will be revealed. So we're to be witnesses. We are to be witnesses. But what is our testimony? Well, here it clearly says it's, it's the gospel. It's about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so if we're walking with the risen Christ and then we're telling people that he died for our sins and he's alive and he's risen from the dead, and then very importantly... I have a relationship with him. He leads me, he speaks to me, and his word is alive in me. And so, well, um, well for, for our benefit today, um, our marriages, again, they're going to be saturated with the gospel. And so as our, our marriages are actually saturated by the word of God and empowered by the Holy Spirit, then we will have a clear clarity in our message. And not only are we going to have a clarity in our message, but we're actually going to be clear in our character as well. And so as married couples, if we're telling people about Jesus's resurrection, um, but we're compromising, you know, wives not submitting, husbands not loving, uh, attention is elsewhere, not really truly trusting each other, not being trustworthy. Maybe there's been some things that we have done, and, and so we've kind of put stop gaps into place, you know, so we feel like separate bank accounts are kind of needed for our relationship. Or, or I mean, like it's been said before, I mean, this has become uh, not a marriage conference, but it's become an attending church conference. But, um, you know, attending church really doesn't, isn't a team effort, uh, really, listen, our whole lives should be about Jesus Christ and attending church. It speaks to the lost world. Listen, Satan doesn't want you in church. He wants you invested in other things. 
He wants you invested in your sleep. He wants you invested in your kids' sports. He wants you invested in partying the night before. He wants you invested in watching a movie uh, at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning so that even if you do come to church, you are not ready for church. <laughs> but your, your marriage speaks. It speaks when you week in and week out. You get up, you get the kids up, you pull out of the driveway, you go to church. You are speaking to your neighbors. We believe this. We truly believe this. It speaks to the character of your relationship. You know, God's emphasis on character is riddled throughout the Bible. In Acts 6, 3, the apostles are looking for deacons to serve tables. And they say, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. Men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. The word good reputation, guess what it is? Martyrio, it's martyr. It's the same word as witness. They have a good reputation. That means people are saying, yeah, I know them. They're different. I know that couple. They're different. They have a good reputation. They're godly people. And listen, this is, this is different than just being good people. Uh, what do good people do? Good people, they, they take care of their family. They, they go to work. They come home every day for the most part. Um, they pay the bills. They do good things. Good people um, take their kids to sports on Sunday. Good people do that. That's, that's a good couple. Look at over there. They're a good couple over there. But what makes them a witness? What makes them a witness? That's more of what does this couple do when the pressure comes, when somebody is out there slandering them or betraying them or when that bad medical report comes, uh, or, I mean, what happens when your children's sports team conflicts with your commitment to Christ? Well, I believe that this is actually when we cross the line from being a good couple to actually being witnesses. Why is that? Because the pressure actually exposes what we really are to the world around us. That's when our good reputation is exposed, martyrio. Witness. Interesting, in Acts chapter 16, one of the main reasons that Paul picks Timothy for ministry, it says, well, Paul goes into Derby and Lystra, and it says, behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, and it talks about Timothy's family. His mom was Jewish and his dad was Greek. But of Timothy, it says that he was, get this, well reported of by the brethren. Well reported of. Martyrio. Witness. Good reputation. And so being married martyrs deals with knowing scripture. It deals with having the power of the Holy Spirit. And it deals with having a, giving a clear message and having a clear character, which is, you know, that's where our relationship with the Holy Spirit really is needed. Listen, he's the Holy Spirit. He's not the compromised spirit. He's not the I'm committed sometimes spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. You know, it's not just when you feel like it or when it's convenient for you. you know, if the Holy Spirit is leading us, he's going to be affecting our message. He's going to be affecting our character. And, you know, when we think of the power of the Holy Spirit, again, so often we associate that strictly with the gifts of the Spirit, like in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. 12 through 14. 
all those chapters, you know, tongues and prophecies and faith and all of these big signs. But here's the problem with that. Remember when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in first Corinthians, Paul tells them, you guys lack no spiritual gift. The church in Corinth was gifted, but they had major, major issues, major problems. They were divided. They were getting drunk. They were suing each other in Corinth. Um, there was rampant fornication, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit were there, but yet they had this really bad testimony. I think that we often don't consider the, the world as a, a motivation for having a good marriage. Uh, but the unsaved world really needs to be considered in this process. Again, we need that clear message, uh, sharing the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need that clear character. Again, do people look at us and say, that marriage, they are different. Look at how they serve each other. Look at how they love each other. Look at, look at their testimony. Look at their life. Look at what's going on there. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 2, we're living epistles. We're known and read of all men. And some people may never read a Bible, ever, but they're going to be reading you. They'll be watching you. They'll be watching your marriage. And what do they see? Are we laying down our lives for each other? So uh, when you think about the men that were following Jesus, um, how their lives ended, Jesus's guys, I mean, uh, James was beheaded. Matthias was tied down and eaten alive by vultures. Jude Thaddeus was crucified, and then he was shot full of arrows. Nathaniel was skinned alive, then crucified. Philip was hanged. Andrew was crucified. Matthew was beheaded. Mark was drugged behind chariots. Luke was crucified. James Alphaeus was thrown from the roof of the temple. Thomas was impaled in India. Simon was sawn in pieces, and Peter was crucified upside down. And then finally, Paul was beheaded. They were martyrs for Jesus. And, you know, they didn't become martyrs when they died. You know, technically they had died long before that, right? They'd seen the risen Christ. They'd been with him. They'd lived their lives as martyrs. Everything in their life hung on this one truth. Jesus Christ is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. That's my message to a lost world, Jesus. And it's really that simple. Believe it and live it. And so... uh, these guys, uh, they weren't struggling with things like, gee, I wonder if we can bring pornography into our marriage to spice things up. Or maybe it would be funny to belittle my spouse in public. Or I wonder if I can have three beers. Because when I just drink two beers, I, I just get a little bit buzzed. Maybe I can have three beers and I won't be too dry. After all, my wife is going to be my uh, designated driver. Anyway, they, they weren't wrestling with that kind of stuff. You know why? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. They were on fire. They were laying down their lives for Jesus Christ. Well, why is that? Because they had set their affections on things above, not on earthly things. These were powerful, spirit-filled individuals who loved Jesus Christ. And so they had 
had a clear message. They had a clear character. So again, uh, witnessing is not something that we do so much. It is actually something that we are. And so being witnesses or martyrs doesn't just mean dying for him. You know, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this before, but probably you have because you know that the history of the church and Christianity that especially early on, there was a lot of people that were dying for their faith. And so um, uh, we, I've, I've thought about, I don't know if you have, but I've thought like, could I die for him? And I, I believe that I could. I believe that I would. Now, I will say this, that I do not want to be eaten by lions. And I really hate the idea of being eaten alive by sharks. I do not like the idea of that. But maybe, in the, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, like if, if I'm going to die, um, maybe a firing squad is <laughs> uh, a little bit quicker or a guillotine or something like that, you know, really quick. You know, I guess the worst part of that would be the events leading up to it, you know, all the sounds that are going on around you. But anyway... Um, Husbands, uh, it says, um, uh, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Really, you know, for me, it's being that martyr every single day that I wake up for my wife. That's, that's what's so hard. That's what's so difficult. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Uh, Jesus, I mean, you think about what he did for the, for the church. Amazingly, uh, Jesus came out of heaven, he entered our world, and he died for his church. Husbands, that's what we're, we're called to do. You know, I've heard it said that we as husbands, we enter her world and we die there. And I like that. Am I laying my life down for my spouse? You know, and I need to ask myself the same question. You know, as wives... Is the way I live consistent with my message? Am I telling people that I know the risen Christ and not acting like it with my spouse, with my kids, with my family? You know, is, if my husband's not treating me right, if he's not doing the things I want him to do, you know, am I willing to turn the other cheek like Jesus turned the other cheek or when temptation comes? I mean, we know that sinners are just doing what they're good at doing. They sin. There's some great sinners out there, and so often they drive us crazy because they're so good at being sinners, but they're just doing what they know to do. They don't have the power of the Holy Spirit like we do. And so with that in mind, are we doing what we know to do? Not because we huff and puff and blow the house down in our own strength, but because we're willing to say, Lord, fill me. Lord, empower me. Lord, lead me. And so that when I am actually sharing his love, there's something about what I'm saying that is actually breaking people down. It's getting into their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Not my own flesh, not myself. And so what do we do? We come and we pray, Lord, fill us so that people, when they look at our marriages, that they actually see that there's something different about this marriage. And so I'm not out there belittling my spouse, but I'm actually encouraging my, my spouse. I'm leading spiritually as a husband and I'm submitting to God's role, will for my role in this marriage. Why? So that I might have that good 
testimony to the world. And so it's by his spirit, right, that, that my Jerusalem is transformed, that my home, my family, my, my marriage, uh, my Judea, my neighbors, or my, uh, my Samaria, where I work, or to the uttermost parts of the world, whatever that might be. And so listen, God, he has a plan for the Christian marriage, your marriage, my marriage. And truly, I believe that it is to reach this lost world.